I'm 51. And I realized that while I was trying to help everybody else with anxiety, and while I was trying to figure out sermon series for the main church, and while I was trying to study and figure out what was going on in our culture, that most of my life I battled with anxiety. I didn't call it that. I didn't want to call it that because that would make me feel weak and vulnerable in a way. So I never called it anxiety. I never named it. It was just a struggle that I had. And I'm never even really, to be honest with you, most of the, the only person that really knows that I struggle with it is my wife, Coco. Hot chocolate, a.k.a. brown sugar. My girlfriend, who's been with me for 30 years. So she knows everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly sometimes. And so I started thinking of, of, of why it is that I would have anxiety or where it came from. So I've had anxiety in these ways. Watch this. I always thought people would leave me, that they would never really stay. I even thought for like almost the first 10 years of being married to my wife is that she really is not going to stay. Like we're not going to live happily ever after, which made me hold on to people too tight. You can ask my daughter, Jocelyn, in that corner, if I hold on a little too tight. Do I hold on just a little too tight? Yes, she's my daughter. So she can tell you. Even as a dad and her growing up in my house that I probably held on, probably still hold on a little too tight. What in the world would make me hold on too tight? What would make me fearful that people would leave me? Where did this anxiety? So even as I got into ministry and started coming up in ministry, I used to get really fretful. Now, believe this or not, every Sunday that we used to preach, our church used to be 900 or 1,000 in Eugene. Every Sunday, I would peek through the curtain Wondering if anybody showed up. I would have this fear come over me that nobody would come every Sunday. Literally, like clockwork. Like clockwork. I never called what was ailing me anxiety. And I wouldn't even have still called it that unless your struggle and, and me wanting to be not just a pastor, but more of a father in the faith come around you, love on you, and let you know that you weren't by yourself. So, so where did it come from in my life? And, and how... Have I started trying to combat it and where the struggles and where the holes sort of in my faith that I'm still trying to work out? So even now, as I'm standing to you, I'm going to show you a scripture that has been foundational for me and that I've held on to. But even now, I'm still listening to me. It is not gone. I'm still working on it. And the Holy Spirit is still working inside of me as a result. I'm not done. Did you just hear me? So even, in, even though I'm pastoring, I travel, I got all of this stuff going on that looks good from the outside. On the inside, the enemy is still trying to plague me in this way. Okay? So the origins, 1966, long time ago, my mom decided that she, she fell in love with a young man, decided she was going to have sex, had sex one time, and got pregnant. It only takes one. Hello. Literally one. <laughs> so she got pregnant. In 1966, that was a lot different than it is in 2018, where it's an epidemic and young people, they got schools for it now. Didn't exist back then. So she, at 16, my dad leaves, goes to Vietnam for two tours of Vietnam. He comes home broken. But in the meantime, she has to figure out at 16 in 1966 what to do with a baby. So she hands me to my grandmother and she tries to go back to school, which she does. And then she graduates and grabs me back. 
and decides that her and my dad are going to be a family. Then my dad decides that he wants to be addicted to drugs more than he wants to be a father or a husband. She rightfully leaves him, but she can't stand on her own, so she gives me back to my grandmother. Do you notice what's happening to my life at a young age? No stability, no security, no dependability. Oh, by the way, my dad lived 30 minutes away from my house most of my life, and I barely saw him. But, but here's the ridiculous thing about kids. Isn't this the way we are? We just keep believing that it's going to work out somehow. So every game, I played football, I ran cross country, I wrestled, I did a lot of stuff. I wasn't very athletic, but I worked hard, which means I had no talent. Hello. <laughs> but each time I would, you know, get out on the field or wherever we were, I'd still look in the stands to see if he was there. And I knew he wouldn't be there. He was never there. There's sometimes that I spent with him and, I, and sometimes I didn't. I go to weekends, sometimes three times a month, sometimes no times, depending on whether he wanted to see me or not. And then after a while, it got longer and longer distances. So no dad. There's certain things that dads provide in families that moms can't. You know that? There's roles assigned to that. And there's a certain security and stability. And for a young man or a young girl, I noticed this with my daughters, as they got to be a certain age, They wanted my affection and my attention in a way. And when little girls don't get that attention from their dad, they start looking for it elsewhere. Because there's a rightful place for male affection and male attention that comes from a dad. But when they can't get it from him, either he's not present or he's absent emotionally, they start looking for it in young men who don't know who they are, who haven't been solidified themselves And so you start looking for it in him. He's looking for it somewhere else. So he's using you as a conquest so that he can feel good about himself. And you're looking for something from him as well, but it's not found there. And this is where the family unit starts breaking down. Does that make sense? I'm going somewhere with this. I want you to hear how this all plays itself out. When they start saying things like this in church, Father God, the family of God. So my family's broken. The only thing I know about my family is it's inconsistent, it's abusive, it's disappointing, and I can't count on them. That's what family means to me. Can't count them. Even to this day, I can't count on my family for anything. So, so then what happens when you come to church and people like Hayden and Jeff and Carissa and Cassandra and all of them get up and they start talking about you loving Father God? And start talking about you being in this family of God. Well, if you come from a family like mine, you're not sure you want to be in family. And what does that mean to be in family? Because we all bring a set of experiences to the table when we start saying family. Isn't that right? So family can mean a lot of things. For some of you, it can be really good. And I don't begrudge you of that. Hear me when I tell you. If you've got a great family, great. Just be generous. Invite people over. That's what we did coming up. When, when I finally became a father and my kids, we used to have everybody at my house all the time. In fact, they used to knock on the door and ask, can Keith play? And they weren't looking for Keith Jr. They were looking for me. I played in the neighborhood, act crazy, the whole thing. Still do, by the way. So it was a challenge for me. So all of this destabilization in my life created anxiety. Nothing was ever secure. Nothing was ever stable. Nobody ever stayed. Everybody was disappointed. Nobody ever kept their word. Hey, I'm coming to get you. No, they're not. Hey, we're going to go do that. No, we're not. So there was always this sense of nothing ever working out right and always waiting for the other shoe 
to drop. And then I gave my life to the Lord. And they started teaching about the family of God. Say the family. That's like five of you. Say the family. That's why it's important for you to realize that we're setting up something here that for some of you may not exist there. So that's why it's important for you to understand when you come here, this is not the hookup house. This is not where you come to hook up with a pretty girl, even though they're pretty girls here. This is not where you come to get attention from a young man. It's like, oh, come here, tell them. You, you want to hug all the time. That's not what this is. This, this, this is the family of God. In the Bible, there, there, there's certain designations for our relationship to one another. Older ones like me are called fathers in the faith. And older women are called mothers in the faith. And then those of that appears, they're called brothers and sisters in the faith. We're family. So then God becomes, we're in this household or tribe called Beaverton Foursquare, and God is the father of that house. Well, that's a challenge for people like me because my father was abusive physically to me personally and to my mom. And he was always angry and he was always easy to set off. We didn't know it was called PTSD at the time. We didn't know he had post-traumatic stress disorder. That's what it was. And that's what ailed him. We didn't know he had a mental disorder and it was really messing with him. All I knew is we had to be very quiet in the house. And if you ever were very disruptive, he would be volatile, angry. Does it make sense? So I went through my formative years all the way to young adulthood with this as a family foundation for me. How many of you know there's a reason for anxiety? And so as I get out in the world, I start trying to figure things out and I come to Christ and somebody reads this scripture to me. You ready? Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3 through 5. This is my life scripture. This is the scripture that I go to in moments where I feel weak, where I feel like I don't understand things. This begins to become a true north for me to get my soul back on track. So here's what I do. You say, so what am I supposed to do with anxiety and what truth is there? What is there that, that I can find this morning that the Lord would give you, Keith, that could help me in the sea of chaos that I'm in. It may not be the same as mine, but you have your own source of disruption, disappointments. You got your own issues. Isn't that right? Okay. So here's what Ephesians chapter one says, it says this, all praise to God. Verse three, all praise to God. Is it up there? Nope. Oh, we don't have media. So if you got it, just, just, you know, follow along or put it in your phone. And here's what I would love for you to do. I would love for you to take this scripture and absolutely dissect it and pull it apart for yourself and let it speak to you this afternoon, tomorrow, the next day. And maybe after 30 some years of following the Lord, you may get up in front of a youth group and say, this is the text that has kept me almost my entire life. And I'm going to pull out some things in this text that mean something to me may not mean anything to you right now, but it may down the line. Or for some of you, it may be the light in a dark time that you needed to help you navigate to get to the other side. Okay? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5 says this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united 
with Christ. Verse 4 is where it begins for me. Even before, now listen to this. Even before he made the world, God loved us. Why is that important to me? And why should it be important to you? That means before you were ever here, God had a plan that he set in motion to bring you into relationship with him so that you might experience his love. That means before you ever inhaled and took your first breath or before your mom and dad ever went to the back of the room together. That God had a plan to love you before you ever failed him, before you ever had a struggle. Before you ever got to the position you're in right now, God set his love on you. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It is an act of God's will. When my kids arrived on the planet, I loved them. They didn't do anything to earn it. I even brought them home from the the hospital. Come on. So I could love them. I spoil them to this day because I love them. And I'm a sinful, earthly father. God set it in motion. You didn't find God. God was looking for you so that he could love you. Even in the family you're in, you say, well, what about this family? Even in the midst of that, you can see the love of God. When I look back over my life now, I don't thank God for my family. I thank God that in the midst of all of that, he was able to keep me and preserve me and his love shone through even in the darkness that was my family unit. That God kept me in the middle of it. That's what I can tell you in retrospect. There were always, now this is how God is. There were, even though my world was fractured and broken, God always sent a resource into my life. Will it have been coaches or teachers who were interested in me? People to show kindness and love for no good reason. Always all down the line, people were being sent into my life. Pointing. What were they doing? They were extensions and resources of God's love to point me toward his goodness toward me. All my life, even in the darkest times, even when I was alone, even when I felt abandoned and rejected, God always sent someone into my life to lift me up, to encourage me, to be a blessing to me. I love the fact that we have student leaders, people that volunteer, give up their life and their time to come and meet with some of you. To connect with you. Because they don't know it, but I know it. Like they're the lifeline to some of you. I wish I'd have had a student leader come into one of my games to watch me. I I went to a soccer game. I forgot who was playing. I went to a soccer game and some of the student leaders were cheering. You would have thought the Joker scored a goal. And all he did was kick the ball 10 yards. And they were like, ah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, he didn't do anything. Didn't even score. (laughs) But you know what that would have done for me sitting down on the field? Somebody cares about me. Somebody that that shouldn't care about me cares about me. I love what, what student leaders and youth pastors do because they don't even realize how significant their role is in your life, their voice is. Because sometimes, for me, I would have never gotten a word of encouragement, an affirmation, or approval. But thank God for the resources that God sends in our life. To encourage us. God loved you before you were ever thinking about him. And when you're in here all distracted and playing your little games on your little role, like you don't want to pay attention, God's love is sure, consistent, and will not fail. Paul said, I'm persuaded that nothing shall ever separate me from the love of God in Romans 8 and 38. Nothing. Nothing you will do, nothing the world will put forth, nobody you'll ever lose, nobody that will ever come will make God love you more or less. He loves you. 
And he shouldn't have to prove it either. You know why? Because he already proved it at Calvary when Jesus died for us. He proved his love once and for all. He shouldn't have to prove it to you all the time. Amen? Now, now here's the next part that got me. It says this in verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us. And then it says this. Chose us in Christ. That messed with me. Because I hadn't been anybody's choice. In fact, when I would go out to recess, nobody would pick me. In fact, well, they would pick. Because, you know, you play basketball, you need 10 people. But if you're the 10th person picked, are you really picked? No, because you need 10 people to play. And that was usually me. Wasn't very tall, wasn't very athletic. And so there would be like nine people picked and then Keith would be standing there. And somebody would say, all right, come on. That's not being picked. I was a late bloomer. I didn't even get picked by girls. It was horrible. I had big teeth. My head wouldn't, I mean, this is weird. It's just bad. It worked out at the end, but it didn't, you know, at the beginning, it was bad. It was really bad. Um, I didn't get picked. I didn't get picked by my dad either. Didn't really get picked by my mom because I felt as a kid, if I was really picked by her, she wouldn't be handing me off so easily all the time. So that sent messages in my soul. And then I got to church and somebody said, we were chosen by God. And if you connect it in this verse, before the world began, I was chosen by the God of the universe. This was revolutionary for somebody dealing with abandonment and rejection. And it's taken me literally all of this time to continue to work that in to my soul. There are days that I almost forget that I'm chosen by God. There are days that I want to be chosen by people. I want people to choose me. And I forget that I'm already chosen. Listen to me. If the God of the universe already chooses you, then who, who else's attention do you really need? If you know you're already chosen by God, then you don't have to laugh at things that aren't funny. Hello. And be around people that you really don't want to be around because you know there's a settledness. Now watch this. Here's where the anxiety starts getting settled. There's a settledness in my soul in knowing that I'm God's choice. I'm chosen. And some days I have to remind myself I'm God's choice. I'm chosen. I have to say it out loud to myself. I'm chosen by God. I'm loved by God. I have to tell myself and remind myself because there's an enemy of your soul that will lie and speak lies to you. Not to mention people around you may not choose you. They may not want you to hang out. Then what? What are you going to do then? Well, in order to hang out, you need to get high with us. In order to be my girl, you need to have sex with me. So then for the sake of belonging, we compromise ourselves to be with people. But here's the the tragedy. Look at me. Whatever you compromise to get, you will have to keep compromising to keep. It's not one time. Is one time and again and again and again and again. And before long, you don't even recognize who you are. You know how I know that? Because I've been that guy trying to fit, trying to belong. Because I didn't belong in my family, remember. So now I'm trying to belong anywhere I can to whoever I can. And then this scripture keeps hitting me in the back of my mind. Chosen. Loved. You don't have to love me. The love of God is in me. Come on. The love of God. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what it says in Psalms 139. 
that God made me wonderfully. So that means when I look at myself, I ought to be like, that looks good. God made that and God doesn't make junk. Hello, somebody. That means that whether you like me or not, whether you rock with me or not, God is. The God of the universe. See, God loves me. God chose me. I'm his choice. Look at me for a minute. You are God's choice right now. You don't have to do anything. You're his choice. He already chose you. You don't have to tap dance. You don't have to perform. You don't have to pull any tricks. You're God's choice right now. That's important when people don't choose you. That's important when you're in a family, you feel like your dad or your mom doesn't choose you. That solidifies you in a world that may not choose you if you're African-American. Ooh, mic drop. That's true. Or Indian or Mexican or whatever. Whatever the label that society gives you. It's important for you to be fortified and rooted in that truth. I'm God, I'm loved by God, and I'm chosen by the God of the universe. In Christ. Amen? To be holy and without fault or without blame. That means there's righteousness that comes to me through Jesus Christ. There's holiness and purity that comes through Jesus Christ, my relationship with him. My unrighteousness was placed on him so that his righteousness might come on me so that I might be in relationship with God. So that means there's no blame and there's no shame in my life. Look at me for a minute. Jesus took all of the blame and all of the shame. So therefore, I am free. Say free. Y'all awful quiet. Are y'all always this quiet? Say free. Free. Say it louder. Free. I'm free. But it's not free. It's not that it didn't cost anything. Jesus paid for my freedom. So therefore, I don't want to be enslaved again, to anxiety or performance or any of those things. And I've got to constantly ward off. Notice what I'm saying while I'm teaching you. I'm not telling you you have to do anything. I'm talking 100% about my journey and how I have to continue to ward all of this off of my life. Like when I'm standing in front of 1,300 people in the other room and I want them to like me and I want them to say whatever that would say to make me feel affirmed. I have to remember that whether they do or whether they don't, I'm still God's chosen. Whether they want, whether they like it or not, I'm still God. Whether I'm too loud and too black, I'm still God's man. And whatever it is that you are, you better know that you're loved and affirmed and placed in God's family and that you're his choice. Think about that for a minute. Think about how that would change your life right now. If, you, if I don't even go any further in the text, just think about that. If you just knew that you knew, you just focused on that for the rest of this year, that I know that I'm loved by God and I'm God's choice. If you just, if you just stayed right with those two points from that text, I'm God's choice and I'm loved by him. But there's more. And I'm without blame, without fault in Christ. These are benefits that come into your life through Jesus Christ. We're singing about them, but I want you to apply them when fear comes, when peer pressure comes, when all of these things come to rob you of the security that you could have in Christ. When anxiety, nobody's going to pick me. I'm going to be by myself. I don't know what's going on. I'm going crazy. Yeah, but I'm chosen. I'm loved. I'm without blame. I'm without fault. God still loves me. Come on. This is, if you're not going to apply this stuff and you're just going to sit in here and play little games and eat donuts, no donuts this morning. I was looking for those. 
wasting your time. This is stuff that will go down in your soul that will start solidifying you so that when you're a 51-year-old man, you'll still be blessed and standing. Amen? Doesn't mean you won't be getting fought. Doesn't mean there won't be wars. Doesn't mean there won't be abandonments and rejections. Doesn't mean that all of that stuff won't come to fight you. It just means that you'll be solidified. Can I give you one other thing? Here's the one that I really love. Verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. I'm adopted, and so are you. Now, Jocelyn's my daughter, right? Now, watch this. Don't say anything else. This ain't cute. Listen, Jocelyn's my daughter, but I didn't choose her. She arrived. Hello. Seven pounds, seven ounces with a lot of hair. She arrived. She was absolutely beautiful when she arrived. She was absolutely the most joyful baby in our house. Keisha was a mess. She was joyful. Every time I go to the crib, when Jocelyn was small, she'd be shaking the crib, laughing, just waiting for somebody to pick her up. It's always been a joy. But I didn't choose her. She just arrived. When, when 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 parents adopt a child, they decide that they want that child. When God adopts you and I, It is because he wanted and desired you and I. And that here's the cool part. There wasn't anything desirable about us that would make him say, oh, yeah, I got to have him or her. No, we're a hot mess. And God says, I want you. I set my love on you. I've chosen you. Those things solidify me. Those things keep me when the currents of this world disrupt me. Those things have healed the abandonments and the rejections of my past and are still healing them and still keeping me. They're anchor points for my soul. Does that make sense? I don't want to go longer than I'm supposed to go, but I got like 12 more things I could tell you. Can I come back next Sunday? No, I'm joking. Stand to your feet with me. Who plays the keyboard up here, Jamie? Come on, Jamie. That time went by so fast. Do me a favor. Just take a minute. Look at me. This place has got to be safe. Look at me. Look at me. Don't play with the guy standing next to you. Look at me. This place has got to be safe. When you come here, this has got to be a sacred space. Of course, Have fun. Of course, you know, tear it up. (laughs) Make me have to replace stuff. Whatever you do. But you got to remember that you're the family of God. I didn't even get into God as our father. And how consistent, how lovable, how dependable. How he protects, how he provides. How he keeps our whole world together even get into all of those things but you've got to remember that you're the family of God here that nobody gets excluded you don't have some in group some out group you got athletes great so what you got people that aren't academic you got all kinds of people but we're all here as the family of God and when we come here you need to remember that some people are coming from places like I come from things aren't so good there 
so then when they come here they're looking to belong don't make them have to make it easy for them in fact why don't you extend yourself be open loving kind and choose them and adopt them into the family the same way that God adopted you the same way that he freely did that for you that should be the hallmark of this place and if you do that that's, this becomes a place like that where people like me can fit then there won't be any shortage of space you'll be saying hey PK we need the other room now because there's kids all over this county that are like me that need a place to belong that need to know that they're chosen they're loved and they're adopted into the family of God and you as family members get to be those representatives amen I want every head bow and every eye closed for a moment. If anything I said struck a chord in any of your hearts, you say, you know what, PK? That's my life. That's where I live right now. Would you pray for me before you leave? Well, I have that sense of anxiety. I don't belong anywhere, and it's difficult for me to fit. I find myself compromising too much to try to be in this morning what you said resonates with my heart I need to be more rooted in Jesus that way connected to him so that I'm assured of a place in his family if that's you you want me to pray just lift your hands so that's me PK pray with me I see your hands going up leave your hand up leave your hand up I see your hands going up all right here's what I want you to do put your other hand in the air as well just as a sign of your surrender You're just what you're doing in this moment is you're saying, Holy Spirit, embrace me, heal me, secure me, assure me of my place in the family. Father, in Jesus' name, would you bless these young ones and myself? Keep us, watch over us. Lord, thank you for placing us in your family and adopting us that we have full rights and privileges as a son of God daughters of the Lord. Lord, but the world is buffeting and coming against us. Use Ephesians 1, 1 through 3 to solidify us. Let those truths go down deep in the heart and the soil of each young man and young woman. Lord, I thank you that you rewrote a different story for me based on the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice. You're rewriting the stories of the young people as well. And we thank you for it and give you the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap. Come on.